Good morning. It's good to see you guys. What a great anthem we just sang. Um, I love that song. It so puts us in our rightful place before our King and just is very moving to me. It's good to be back with you guys. Uh, most of you may not know this, but Cindy and I celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Uh, we went to Switzerland and uh, spent 10 days in the Alps. and It was amazing. It was a great time. Um, we've been, we didn't camp in Switzerland. Uh, we've been doing this series called Camping on Rock Hill. Sometimes it felt like camping to be, and George, I appreciated the frequent camping references while I was gone. I did listen to you. I, I, you were counting them. That was a little problematic, but you were counting them. Uh, we stayed in a small studio apartment in a youth hostel. We were there, and it felt like a tent <laughs> a little bit. It was pretty small. Uh, we spent much of our time outside. I got a few pics here I'll show you. We climbed and hiked. So that's the Matterhorn, if you know that, that point. So we, we hiked to there. That's as close as we got to the matter. And we were thinking of you, Ashton, wherever you sat. Uh, she would like to be on the side of that thing right now if she would have been with us, but not us. That was plenty close uh, for me. And uh, show the next one. This was the view outside of our... Uh, our room while we were there. We've stayed in a little village called Lukerbad, a little mountain village way up in the hills. The drive up there and down when we did that was pretty harrowing for me, kind of driving on the side of cliffs with like little nylon guardrail sometimes. It's like, who does that? Not me. And then I uh, go into the next one there. There's uh, a little this is one of my favorite places in the village. A lot of the streets are like this. They're almost more alleys as much as they are streets. And if you've ever, you know, been in parts of Europe, you're probably familiar with that. Uh, but uh, it was really pretty. And then I, the last day we were there, I'll tell you about the last day we were there, which was actually, don't show it yet. No, don't play it yet. You can freeze it. That's great. So I need to set it up. We... Um, <laughs> Last Sunday, so once a year, so there's a lot of sheep in this, uh, in the mountains surrounding this village, and we're about halfway down, so one day a year, all the shepherds bring the sheep down to this village, and for about five hours, they drink beer and sing bar songs, and they, they, they put their sheep in this big pen that they make shift, and, uh, and so we got to like watch that. It was really fun. They had all these sheep tied up and they had marked their own sheep and then after about five o'clock they knock the pen down, they get their sheep dogs out and they start marching the sheep. So this is a video of that kind of procession. We're standing there and here come the sheep. And so I want you to look at the shepherds here in the front. Uh, they're pretty cool. Uh, one lady swinging the little thing in front so the sheep don't try to move ahead. And uh, I don't know what that guy's name in this middle. I would imagine Gandalf or Guido. I'm not really sure <laughs> which one. Uh, if, if those guys aren't shepherds, there are no shepherds. Uh, so you can see that they mark their sheep by color. Um, they don't have chips, Maggie. They just spray paint them. <laughs> uh, so there they go. And if you look in the back, you'll see one of the 
sheepdogs. This, this dude was awesome. He, he kept those sheep on that road. They were frequently, they stopped to say hello. If you notice, some of the sheep have really cool hairdos. Like, they have froze or they have the shag look, some of them. And uh, so the dogs are doing their job there. They would frequently, the sheep would see a little patch of grass and get off and try to hide. Uh, the dogs weren't having any of that. So that was, that's pretty much it. There's some shepherds bringing up the rear there, the back. So that was our day. That was a highlight for us uh, last Sunday. Camping on Rock Hill. This is our last installment of this short little series. Our objective with it has been to introduce you. We know some of you are new. We have some students especially that are new. We wanted to give you a taste of our community. Uh, some of the core values, convictions if you would. Um, the character that we're striving to be formed into as well as the competencies that we want to develop to help us live together, accomplishing God's purposes for our lives, not just as individuals, but together. Um, if you're not new here, many of you have been here uh, from the beginning. Um, we, we hope that this has been uh, envisioning and renewing, refreshing. We're not, the, the goal isn't to self-promote. Uh, that's really not the way of Christ. Uh, but it is to let you know who we are. We want to be as clear as possible about who we strive to be and what we understand as our purpose and our mission. We happen to believe that being church is a pretty special thing. It's a pretty big deal. Um, not because we think so. It's because it's, that comes right out of God's Word. There's a passage in Ephesians that's been very formative in my life. Ephesians 3, 10 to 12 uh, reads this way. There we go. God's intent was that through the church, His manifold wisdom would be made known even to rulers and authorities unseen in heavenly realms. And get this, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he tacks on this reminder, in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I hope that sinks in a little bit for you. That God's vision for our lives is not one with swagger, but neither is it being enslaved to our own insecurities. His vision for our lives are lives of freedom. Lives of a healthy kind of confidence. That's no small endeavor, is it? To be formed in that way, to live with freedom and confidence in our normal, ordinary, common lives. It's an incredible thing to get to be part of this, the church. To get to be part of what Jesus is doing. We try not to take that for granted. We began this little series three weeks ago by characterizing ourselves as a people who are 
anchored in Christ. We used kind of a a camping analogy and talked about staking our tent in Christ. I want to read a, a passage I stumbled across this week in my devotional book. I really wasn't that familiar with it. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16-17 was in the week daily this week in my reading. And it's a blessing uh, that Paul's giving the church in Thessalonica. So listen to this 2000, nearly 2,000 year old blessing. May our Lord Jesus himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us, get this, eternal encouragement and good hope. Good hope. That just fills me with hope, just hearing it. May you encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And I I want to demystify those few sentences as much as I can for you because that really is God's vision for your life. A person of eternal encouragement. A person of good hope. It doesn't, there's no promise here that life's going to be easy or simple. It just means it's going to be immersed in these things. Encouragement and hope. When we stake our lives, when we anchor ourselves in anything other than Jesus Christ, these things are going to be very slippery for you. You may have seasons you're encouraged. You may have reasons for hope in in what the world is offering you or your own giftedness or relationships. But I'm telling you, they're going to be slippery for you. You won't be able to hold on to them. What Paul is blessing here is eternal encouragement. Hope that remains with us, that's not slippery, that doesn't change because our circumstances change, it stays. So this is the most critical reality we share in the church, is that we are a people anchored in Christ. It's not about how cool we are, or our giftedness, or how good we can produce a sermon or a worship service or or how uh, relevant our small groups may be in our community or about how many nations we're trying to touch. When you peel all that stuff away, what we are is a people anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what defines us. The last two weeks... Our brother George has masterfully described, using the camping theme, um, what it means to camp together. What good camping looks like. I have lots of experience in bad camping. I don't know about you. I've had my tent filled with water more than once. I've had trees on my tents. I like good camping better than bad camping. So George has been talking about what does it mean to camp together in a way. If you haven't, if you weren't here the last two weeks, you have opportunity to go to our website. You can access those two messages. I would encourage you to, to do so. So we've been talking about what it means to do life together. And, you know, there, there's absolutely no way in four messages in four weeks we can, like, unpack 
everything we might want to say about describing uh, church culture, our particular church culture. Church actually is a culture, by the way. And if there's any anthropology majors here, um, culture is complex. Culture has different layers. There's the things you see if you're here from, for the first time or the second time. You're looking at some of our artifacts. Those are the things that are readily visible to a culture. When you go to Switzerland, you're going to hear them speaking in French or in the Swiss Deutsch, the German, and you're going to notice how clean it is. You're going to, you're going to see how orderly people live. You're going to realize they don't have very good coffee there. And you're going to discover artifacts about the culture that really you don't have to do very much digging. It's just there. And if you're here visiting with us or checking us out, you're going to see things about our artifacts that will tell you maybe some things about us. Uh, but that's just kind of the surface level. Below that surface, there's what anthropologists might call espoused values. These are the kind of the values, the convictions that the culture says self-defines as important, kind of like what I'm doing now. That would be an espoused, a uh, series of espoused values. It's our, our pledges, our documents, our, our, our things that we deem important, that we clearly identify. There's a, there's a third layer of culture that is mostly hidden. It's our hidden assumptions. The hidden assumptions of a culture, the parts of the culture that, yeah, everybody just believes it, but they've believed it so long they forgot they believe it. You know, it's kind of the, it's kind of the water they swim in. Uh, Cindy and I were in a little Swiss bakery that we went to frequently last week. And uh, one of the things about the culture I learned, like in America, if you're going to order like from the counter and, you know, they have those, like at Starbucks, the glass counter with the pastries and stuff in there. So in our culture, it's appropriate to walk up and the person to say, you know, what, what can I get you? And you can kind of go, hmm. And you kind of stand there for 30 seconds or sometimes five minutes trying to make up your mind. And generally, they'll patiently wait on you. Well, in Swiss, I don't know if it was just the lady or if it's the culture. But that wasn't cool for her. Like, I walked up and she said, what do you want? And I kind of went, hmm, you know. And she got very frustrated with me, like in five seconds. And, and, um, and I realized that I watched the, the Swiss doing it, and they did it back here. And they looked. So when you approach, it's time to order. Order Jack, or I'm moving on. And that's what happened. She moved on. And um, so that's both artifact, but there's probably a whole set of hidden assumptions that simple behavior. Uh, and that's true. Uh, we have assumptions. What we try to do as a community, and this is what healthy communities do, is try to self-expose the hidden assumptions. But even then, it's sometimes difficult. Why? Because there are assumptions that you don't even realize sometimes. My point is, I'm not going to be able to completely describe Rock Hill to you we're a collection of 150 people and another 50 kids or so that come most, are here most of the time. Some of them are in and out, and they, we're not all the same. 
We come from all different kinds of places. And uh, we have our own set of, of core uh, hidden assumptions that we bring with us, so there's no way I can do justice to that. What I can tell you is we're not secret about who we are. We're, we try to be clear. So I want to, for the sake of clarity, I want to restate a couple of our fundamental beliefs. That's really what today is about. If you've been around for a while, you're not going to hear one thing new today. I guarantee it. You're going to hear the same song that we sing a lot. But again, I hope it will charge you again. Because these are our fundamental beliefs. And I hope they burn in your belly as they do mine. So I want to start with our statement of mission. And here it is. To help people know and follow Christ, living and leading in his likeness to the ends of the earth. Let me unpack that real quickly. To help people. We want to help people. If we're not helping people, what in the world are we doing? We want to be a help. We want to help people in a specific way. We want to help them know God. Not just know things about God. We want to help them know God like you know your friends. The people that are important in your life. We want to help you come to know God by following Christ. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the writer of Hebrews says, the exact representation of his being. He's the image of the eternal God. He is God. And so we believe following Christ is the best way to live. The word follow just means to walk after. And that that's helpful for us to think of it that way. And then living and leading. Living, what we mean by that is holistically. Our faith is supposed to touch every hour, every minute, every dimension of our being. Now, do we do that very well? Eh, sometimes. But we're growing in that. That's our ambition is that our life will become Christ's life. His life will become our life. That we'll learn this thing of what the Scripture calls abiding in Him that Jesus' best friend John wrote about. That we'll share life with Him, living in Him, and then leading. Now some of y'all are going to get tripped up on that word leading. You don't want to be a leader. You don't have ambition to be a leading. Well, let me, let me give you a couple caveats. I don't mean a position of leadership. I don't necessarily mean a personality of leader. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I think everybody should be a leader. But I do, we do mean this by it. It's why we have it in our mission statement. By leading, we mean to live intentionally and purposefully according to God's purposes for our lives. That we're not just slopping around in our lives, trying to guess always what we're about. Now, there's a lot of mystery in life. We're not going to figure it all out. But we want to be a people with purpose. And that's why we chose to use that word lead. And then we're living and leading in His likeness. And we'll, that's a critical part. We sang about that this morning. Because it's not just about what we do. It's about how we're doing it. It matters to God. The this, this Scriptures is a book about formation. 
about becoming something, not just accomplishing something. And then to the ends of the earth. We have a mandate that I'll speak more of. But God is not a tribal God. He's not, about, he's not an American God. He's not a Middle Eastern God. He is a God for all persons, all peoples, all nations. And so that must be, if we're going to be faithful, if we're going to operate with fidelity to His call in our lives, this ends of the earth has to matter to us. Because it matters to Him. The gospel is the good news about the life I just described. The gospel is a message of deliverance. You say deliverance from what? Well, from the crap we give our lives to. George, I got to use the word crap. (laughs) If you weren't here the last two weeks, that makes no sense to you. Don't worry about it. It's the things that distracts and poisons our lives. The promises of the world that leave us empty. Our own desires and ambitions that may even be partly good, but that we follow independently of God. That falls in the category of crap, just to be clear. And then we have a, we have a very real spiritual enemy who's dead set against us. The gospel is a message of deliverance from that. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. When you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like everyone else, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But then it changes because of His great love for us. God who is rich in mercy made us alive. That's the game changer right there. With Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Stamp those words on your soul, friends. We believe the response to this gospel of deliverance is discipleship. It is to apprentice under Christ. This word disciple actually has a lot of rich meanings to it. It means to follow. It also means to apprentice and learn from. It also also contains this dimension of coming under. We call it lordship. It's not just like check him out to see if he has some good ideas. There's a submission in discipleship as well. So I want to say a few things about discipleship. Some of you are familiar with this. For some of you this will be new. Number one, discipleship is a decision of faith. Authentic faith involves belief, coming to believe some things. But belief is more than just intellectually buying it, assenting it, sometimes we say. To, to say that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, as I've agreed that these sets of truths are right, 
That is a perversion of the gospel. The gospel is more about just saying, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. To place one's faith in God is to fully come under Him and trust Him with our lives. Specifically, God in the person of Jesus. Of course, believing things about Jesus will be part of that. And it's important. You have to come to some conclusions about Jesus in order to intelligently come under Him. Some of the students met this morning for our Christianity Explored course that began this morning. It goes the next six or seven weeks. If you're a student, we invite you to that. It meets in the room right behind me at 9 o'clock on Sunday. It's exploring what does Jesus mean? What is he about? Listen to these words again from the writer of Hebrew. God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Some of your professors aren't teaching that, by the way. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining what? Physics majors? All things by his powerful word. He has provided purification for our sins. That's a mouthful. But it's coming to trust that Jesus is who he said he was. Secondly, discipleship is an experiential faith. It's not, again, and I'm kind of saying the same thing I just said. It's a little bit different angle. It's not enough just to know things about God. It is to experience God. Just like you would a friend. It's to be in relationship with him. Now that's a faith relationship. We don't normally physically see him. Jesus said in John 8, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Jesus is not talking about just cognitive knowledge. He's talking about experiential, relational, intimate knowledge with the living God. As you begin your journey with Christ... That experiential part, initially it may be like a honeymoon. It may be awesome. And then normally we kind of grow to the next stage. And at times we don't feel much. But let me also add this. As you grow, you actually fall more and more in relationship and in love with him. That's the way it's supposed to work. So, to be clear and restate, discipleship to Jesus resides at the heart of who we are and what we're trying to do. It profoundly, discipleship, impacts the essence, the character, the nature, the mission of the church. There are stages in discipleship. The stages don't necessarily look the same for every person. There's things like becoming open to Jesus initially. There's some of you in this room who are not yet followers of Jesus. And part of your journey is becoming open to Him. Becoming curious. Could He, perhaps, really be God? Or is He just a liar? Is He something that the church is like trumped up? Those are fair questions. If you have those questions, they're welcome here. Ask them. We'd love to talk to you. Becoming open and investigating His claims. Deciding for and trusting in Christ. That's a stage. 
Yes, I'm going to believe this. I think it's trustworthy. I think it's worthy of my life. I'm going to step into this thing. Apprenticing under Him. Learning His way, His truth, His life. Learning to live His life. That, that's an endeavor. That's an endeavor. At 58, I'm still there. Learning to live His life. And becoming like Him. You might just try real hard to sit there and try to become more like Jesus. See how that goes for you. It doesn't work that way. But it's not a passive entirely endeavor. You have a part in it, but His Holy Spirit acts in your life. And as you grow, you should expect you're going to become more like Jesus Christ. That should be your expectation. Any, any gospel that teaches you something different than that is a perversion. This idea that we're just like wretched worms and we're just kind of white-knuckling it till we die so we can go to heaven, that is not biblical faith. There's an expectation, not of perfection, but there's an expectation you're going to become more like Christ. And, we, and God expects us to grow up into that. So, our curriculum as a church is oriented around this understanding how would Jesus live my life? As an individual, as a student, as a contractor, as a teacher, as a pastor, as an engineer, as a husband, as a mother, as a child. How would Jesus live my life? And then, how would Jesus live our life collectively? That's the beauty of the church is that we don't, as individuals, don't have to bear the weight of that. We are his body and he works in us together. That's really good news. When you get a hold of that, you are on your way. And you don't have to do it all. So what's it look like? I'm going to start landing the plane here. What is this discipleship? Let me give you a couple tangible, I hope, Expressions. I want to use the word with. I want to characterize life with God in three ways using the word with. First, a people with God. And we've been describing some of the ways the last several weeks what it means to be purposefully with God. Learning from God. Perhaps that's what's going on for you right now. Following God, learning to live in God, conversing with God, that's called prayer. Prayer is, let me give you a simple definition, it's talking to God about what we're doing together. That's prayer. Experiencing healing from God. Here's the deal. You're going to have cracks in your soul, you're going to have fractures in your makeup that need healing. For many of you, I don't have to tell you this, you've already been broken some of you have abuse in your story. You have all kinds of brokenness in your story. Part of being under Christ. It's not just an expectation we become more like Him. It's an expectation that we experience His healing in our lives. And He does that. Christ's expression of the cross, which we're going to remember in a few minutes in communion, is a, is a memorial 
that by his wounds we are what? Do you know the verse? Healed. Healing is an important part of it. We want to be a community that champions healing. In every way, we should expect it. People with God. Secondly, a people with one another. Emphasizing the word with again. And George addressed that the last two weeks. So a learning community. Learning with each other. You'll catch on pretty early here that one of our dominant words here, our artifacts, is the word common. We like that word here because it communicates something important to us. Um, some things that are counter-cultural, even in the church. We, we get inspired by being commoners and not feeling like we have to be celebrities. We get in, inspired by living our faith out in ordinary ways. And not trying to impress each other, whether it's on social media or just in normal life. To live a common life together, we think, is a portrayal of the life Jesus came to live. So we don't have to like hype each other up. We can live our ordinary lives and expect God to be there with us. So we're doing it together, a people being shaped into the character of Jesus. And our curriculum is Christ. Again, how would Christ live our lives? Third, a people with the people of our lives. Many of you are in this community, or in a church community, the people of our relational environments, neighbors, classmates, co-workers, family members, so forth. We're not just a people gathered in community, we're people scattered in service. We're not trying to just create a happy holy huddle and call it church. Because we have a mandate to be more than that. The scattered people vision is embedded in what's called the Great Commission. It's right there for you. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so therefore make disciples as you're going. Make disciples as you're moving through your life. Introduce others to me. Help them become my apprentices by the way you talk, the way you walk. Help them be immersed in this life, this life of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Immerse them in that reality that you so richly are coming to know. He's not saying, go make converts. He's not saying, go proselytize the nations. He's saying, help people become what I've done for you. Help them. Make disciples. Don't make it complicated for them. Just help them. Jesus came for all people and all peoples. And so what we learn from Jesus as His apprentices, as we watch Him in the New Testament, He's often seeking out people who don't belong. He's often looking for them. The ones who are insiders in the room. People who often consider themselves unfit. To be included, unable perhaps, disqualified for God, outliers. As Jesus apprentices, we discover his heart for those people. And and we try to break our necks to go out of our way to help them if we can. As you're moving through your life, make disciples. 
It sounds kind of simple. Actually, it's not that easy making disciples. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's challenging. Learning to open our lives to other people, even when we're still broken. Moving toward people, even though we want to just be our introverted self or whatever. Helping people come to know and follow Christ is not always an easy assignment, but it is our assignment. And we're going to be faithful to it by God's grace. Here's the good news. It's the end of the Great Commission. Christ promised His authority and presence to help us. The truth is, left on our own, we don't have that much to offer people. We really don't. It won't take long for us to get over being impressed with each other. We're broken people. I'm a broken person, too. Don't get fooled. Which is why what Jesus said is so critically important. All authority in heaven has been given to me, therefore go in that authority. Not in yours, not in your giftedness. And I will go with you, he ends, to the very, very end. Make disciples. We either do it with him, or we will not succeed. He knew we'd become easily discouraged in this mission. So he stamped this on this commission. You go in my authority and you go with me. Or you don't go at all. He promises us to help us make disciples of all nations. That's it. So church is a whole lot bigger than us. It's not about our ambitions. It cannot be. It must not be. Maybe we'll be quick to repent when it becomes so. Our plans and our ambitions are not too large. They're too small. God is about something much, much bigger than us. And He uses very small people in very ordinary ways. And so we want to stake our lives there. We want to trust that. If you're new, checking us out, I want to invite you to join us. I hope you will. I hope you'll find a place here. Our quest is to pursue Christ. I hope that you find us cool. I hope you find us welcoming and loving. But, I, but more than that, I hope you'll see beyond that. We do have a great community here. We have a great family here. But I want you to see more. I want you to see the immeasurably more life that Christ has for you. And I invite you to share in that life with us. That common, often mundane ordinary life of following Jesus and to work with us and to help make disciples as we're going. That's my invitation to you. Share life with us. So we're going to close our time today by doing just that. We're going to do it through the observance of a very old, ancient institution instituted by Jesus himself. And we, we chose today to put, the, 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 if you're not familiar with this, it's called the Lord, sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. It's, we also sometimes call it communion. What it is, um, I don't want to assume you understand what it is. The, the, the grape juice is what it is, and bread, they represent the blood and the body of Jesus that he gave on our behalf. And if that's new for you, that's okay. It'll take some more explaining to do that I won't spend the time right here, right now on. But before Jesus went to the cross and gave his life for us, he told his apprentices, do this thing we're about to do. Do it often. Do it regularly. 
Use the bread and the wine to remember that I am giving my body broken for you so that you might be healed, so you might be delivered, so that you might have life. Remember. And we put it right in the center. Usually we have them on the sides. We put it in the center today because we wanted a, a little visual representation of this is the centrist part of our church. You peel all the convictions and character and, and competencies away. What we're left with is Christ. And so we will, we will remember what he did. We will remember that it's not about us. We find our identity and our purpose in him and in him alone. So what we're going, here's how it's going, going to go. Let me say this so I don't forget. If you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, if you're not comfortable taking it, it's okay. We're not like writing down or making note of who's not, not participating. We, we want you to uh, enjoy observing followers of Jesus remembering their master. Uh, do you have to be a follower of Jesus to take it? That's not what the New Testament teaches. Here's what it teaches. If you take it, you remember his death on the cross. That's what it's for. If you can do that, do it. We invite you to join us in that. But we think about Jesus when we take it. If as you're taking it, this happens sometimes, we will, we will remember that we're at odds with God in some way. Or we'll remember that we're at odds with a sister or a brother. And the New Testament teaches, if that happens, it's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. We make those things right. Maybe they said, well, the person's not here. You purpose in your heart. I'm going to make that right. And ask forgiveness. And then you can come take it and join it. And then, you know, do what you commit to do. Uh, so it's really that simple. Um, it, it, we don't want it to be clunky in the movement because we are putting it here. So what, the, what's going to happen is uh, there's going to be a few attendants. And they're going to kind of dismiss you by row just so you're not bumping into each other to take it. And again, please feel the freedom uh, to not take it if you don't feel like you should. And, uh, but you'll be dismissed by row, and they'll kind of hedge you. They're going to move you out kind of from the center in, and uh, I'll let them do that. It'll be simple. So here's how it's going to go. Ben's going to start playing. Ben, you can go ahead if you want. And uh, we're going to give you an opportunity just to come and, t- and re- take it, pick that bread and the juice up, take it back with you to your seat. Does that make sense? And then in a few minutes, we'll, we'll do this as long as it takes for everybody to get it. And then in a few minutes, I'll come back up. And, and read the scripture that's affiliated with this practice, then we will take it together and I'll, I'll guide you through that. Let me pray for you as we do this. Lord, I've been preaching a sermon, if that's what you want to call it. Now we're going to live one. We're going to practice remembering what you've done for us. And we are so grateful for what you've done for us. Thank you for giving your life as a ransom, as the perfect, holy Son of God. Giving your life as a ransom for our lives that were so sinful and broken. Thank you. We enter this time of remembering. Would your Holy Spirit protect, guide, lead us during this time? I pray this over every person in this room. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.